Well, we are in part two of a midweek series called Fixer Upper. And when we say the words fixer upper, we normally think of a rundown house, a dilapidated old building. But fixer upper could also be your car. In my case, that would probably be true. Anything else that's past its prime could be a fixer upper. Maybe even somebody you're a friend to or somebody you're married to. They could be a fixer upper project. But most of the time, it's a house, it's a building that could be returned to its former glory if we just invest a little bit of time and a little bit of effort to repair it. And the point of this series is that just like any old familiar house, that we don't see the, the cracks and we don't see uh, the, the, the bad spots, we don't see the mold or the mildew, just like any old familiar house that could use some serious work to repair its flaws and renew its potential. The point of our series is that our family relationships and our friendships also need a makeover once in a while. And it's not just a little bit of curb appeal to kind of fix up the outside and impress everybody that we've got it all in control, but it's that kind of transformation that has to start on the inside, way down deep within the structure or within our lives. No matter how they may be showing wear and tear from the tensions and the troubles of life, restoration in our relationships really is possible with a little bit of effort from you and a little bit of help from God's word. Now, I said last week, and I want to reiterate this, especially for someone that might be watching online. The principles we'll discuss in this uh, series will work in any relationship, not just marriage. And they will work whether you are a Christian or not. God's word is true whether you're a Christian or not. God's word works whether you're a Christian or not. There are people that are not church members. There are people that are not apostolic, but they tithe of their income because they figured out that 90% goes further than 100% if you return that first 10% to God, and they just do it. The principles of God's word work. And so this will work whether you're a Christian or not, but I, I will say this. It's easier if you're a Christian because then not only do you have the principles of God's word, but you have God's help because his spirit is in your life, and that makes a whole lot of difference when life or relationships or family tensions get uh, to be a little difficult. So, so I hope during family month you're ready, uh, especially in these midweek sessions, I hope you're ready to roll up your sleeves and do a little bit of work, not just on your house that you live in, that might be a good thing for a fall cleaning, but on your home, the people you live and exist and are in relationship with. A small investment of your time your energy, your prayer right now could prevent major issues down the road. And brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, your relationships are worth that investment because your relationships are your life, not your possessions, not your bank account, not what you own, not what you want, but your relationships are your life. And all relationships need restoration from time to time. 
Last week, we discussed the foundation of all human relationships. It is the most important part of your home, whether you're talking about your relationships or your physical house, but this part of your home sits out of sight, just below ground level. But if the foundation isn't strong, even the most beautiful buildings will eventually have some kind of major issue. And last week we talked about this, the foundation of every human relationship is forgiveness. Without that principle of forgiveness working below the surface, even the strongest and happiest marriage, even the strongest and most fulfilling friendship can become warped into something that is fragile and quite miserable if there's no forgiveness as a foundation. And I'll sum it up like this from last week and we'll move on. Forgiveness is not a feeling that you have. Forgiveness is every time a choice that you make. The feelings may persist. They may come back to haunt you. You may think about it. You may remember it. The feelings may wash over you once in a while, but you need to know on the authority of the word of God, forgiving someone is not a feeling you have. It is a choice you make. And you can deal with the feelings later, but you make the choice now. It's the very same thing when we got saved. You made a choice to be baptized in Jesus' name or to come to an altar or to lift up your hands and reach out for the Holy Ghost. And it wasn't about what you felt in that moment. In fact, for some of us, the real feelings came later. But we just obeyed the word of God and found out that when we made a choice, the feelings caught up later. It's the same in our relationships. And one last thing from last week, because I just think this is a powerful statement. We say all the time, well, it takes two to tangle. It takes two to fight. Yes, it does. But it only takes one to forgive. You can make the choice to, to just clear the slate with all of your relationships and how freeing that is. Now today, in this service, we want to take our fixer-upper skills uh, up above ground level. And we want to talk about another part of your home that everyone can see, but only you and your loved ones can see inside. No one else can go there without your permission. These are the walls of your home. Walls are structures that define boundaries and they carry loads and they provide privacy and security. Basically, all of the ancient words for wall carry the meaning of fortification or protection because in ancient times, city walls were a means of defense. And so whether you're talking about Bible words or secular words from ancient times, nearly every one of them, in fact, I think all of them, they carry this meaning of fortification or protection. Walls were a, 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 a means of defense. And Proverbs picks up on this meaning in 2528. Solomon, he records this wise saying, he that has no rule over his own spirit, he's like a city that is broken down and without walls. The book of Proverbs tells us, the wisest and wealthiest man who ever lived tells us that a person without self-control 
is like a city without walls. They have no boundaries, they have no protection, and they have no defense against the enemy's attacks. And nowhere, brothers and sisters, is that more apparent than in our close relationships with those we love. Because in your closest relationships, whether that's your immediate family, whether that's your friends, your, your close work associates, the people you sit with in church, in those close relationships with people we love, we are much more likely to just kind of let it all hang out. We are much more likely to let them see us at our worst, at our most vulnerable, with the quick reactions and the quick retorts and they see that and they see us at our worst. Everyone else can see our relationships, but only you and those you love get to see inside the walls of your relationships. Only you and your loved ones know what really happens behind those walls. Nobody else, not your pastor, not your fellow saints, not your coworkers, not your neighbors. Only you and your loved ones really know what happens behind those walls. Now, walls in our relationships, I believe they're like the covenants we make with each other. Everyone say covenant. Covenants are personal agreements. Most of them are nonverbal. We never verbalize it, but they're just kind of this implicit, understood Nonverbal agreement. And these agreements that we kind of make unofficially, casually with each other, they're very important to us. And they're also very vulnerable. They can be upset or messed up. But these agreements that we make, these covenants that we make with each other, if you will, they provide us with the boundaries, the support, the privacy, the security that we need to grow and flourish as individuals, and every individual in here and every individual watching online, you were created in the image of God. You have value, not because the culture around us says you have value, because they can change their mind. Not because somebody who gave birth to you or somebody that is in your immediate family or some close friend says you have value. No, you have value for a much greater and higher reason. You have value because God created you in his image and you have value if no one in this building thinks you have value. You have value because God created you that way. But God puts us in relationships and if they are conducted right within the covenant of God's principles, then they give us the strength and the privacy. They give us the support and the boundaries that we need to flourish and grow as individuals. And just like ancient cities were defenseless without walls, your relationships are defenseless unless they are governed by covenants. They have to be governed by covenants. The ancient city of Jerusalem was originally surrounded by some very strong, thick walls. And those walls kept the wrong people out and kept the right people in. But through years and years of neglect and years and years of enemy attacks, there came a time in Israel's history when those walls were left in a pile of rubble. But thankfully, at that moment in their history, 
God called a man named Nehemiah. And he came back to Jerusalem to rebuild those walls and restore the city. It surely qualifies as one of history's greatest and largest fixer-upper projects. The book that bears Nehemiah's name in your Bible is really almost like his journal. And it records in detail this amazing story. And I'll just summarize. In a sentence, here's Nehemiah's story. In only 52 days, 42 groups of workers restored a 50-foot high wall with a circumference of four miles around at a rate of 504 linear feet per day, all the while fighting severe opposition. That's how important it was to Nehemiah that those walls got restored. At times, the opposition that pressed against Nehemiah and those with him, it got to them. It got to those workers. And they would become discouraged. Because, you see, it wasn't that they were trying to build something new. It was about first trying to dispose of all the rubbish that years of neglect had allowed to accumulate. If you've done any restoration work, if you've done any fixer-upper projects, you know this. This is the tedious, tiring part of a fixer-upper job. Getting rid of all the trash. Getting rid of everything that's overgrown. Getting rid of everything that can't be used. Get a, getting rid of everything that's still attached to something, but it's worn out and it doesn't work. And you have to get rid of it. And it has to be done before we can proceed with anything new. And that's where Nehemiah finds himself. He's got to get rid of all the rubbish, all the cracked stones, all the garbage and the refuse that is piled up. And before they can build anything new, they've got to do that. And it is the very same in our relationships. Old habits, old attitudes, old grievances, old problems, old history, old insults, old arguments, old ways of acting and reacting. Brothers and sisters, they have to be tossed in the trash heap before we can build something better in our relationships. A lot of people want to add Jesus onto their relationships or onto their family or onto their life like you'd build on a front porch. But if the house is caving into the ground, building a new front porch is not going to help anything or anyone. You don't just add Jesus as a little piece onto your already uh, tanked life, your already overwrought life, your already overburdened life. You need a restoration from the inside out. That's what Jesus does to us when he saves us. Can I tell you, it's what he wants to do in our families and our relationships as well. Sometimes you got to halt the history and you got to toss it in the trash heap and draw a line in the sand and say, we're never going back beyond this line to dredge that up ever again. 
Some of you could do yourself the greatest favor if in your relationships you would just say, there's the line. The line is drawn this Wednesday night in October 2020, and I'm never going back across that line again. I'm never going to treat you like that again. We're never going to talk about that again. We're never going to dredge up that argument again. And we're going to build something new. Not something that's patched. Not something that's going to have the same issues, the same sagging floor, and the same rickety counter, and the same moldy walls a month from now. No, we're going to tear it down. We're going to stop that, and we're going to build something new. That's God's desire for you. But it's hard. And sometimes there's so much opposition. The devil doesn't want you to have a successful marriage because a successful marriage is a testimony of the grace of God in your life. The devil doesn't want you to be happy when you come to church and see all your brothers and sisters. He wants you to think that somebody doesn't like you. He wants you to think that somebody's talking about you. He wants you to think that somebody has an attitude against you because if he can sow a little bit of division here and there, we lose our testimony. But here's what the devil hates. When the brethren, when the sisters come together in unity because unity is like an oil of anointing that flows down from the head of Aaron down through his beard, down to the foot of his garment. It anoints everything. It frees up everything. And the devil hates it. And so he'll oppose it. And, and, And every once in a while, Nehemiah and those workers, they'd get tired. And Judah said... Nehemiah, the strength of the bearers of burdens is decayed. (laughs) And there is much rubbish so that we are not able to build the wall. We can't do this. There's too much garbage. There's too much history. There's too much damage. There's too much clutter. There's too much. We can't do it. There's too much trash. And you felt the same way sometimes about things in your life. It's just too hard. It's just too difficult. There's just too much. I just can't. You know, that phrase, I can't, it's true either way. If you believe you can, you can. If you believe you can't, you can't. But I can do all things, said Paul, through Christ which strengtheneth me. And he wrote it from a prison cell. And if Paul could have victory in Jesus in a prison cell, I just guess I can have victory in Jesus living in free Canada in a blessed country with wonderful brothers and sisters. I'm not saying we don't have issues. Of course we got issues. If you got 100 Pentecostals in a room, there's at least 103 opinions in that room. I know we got issues. But we've got Jesus. And when you got Jesus, issues take a back seat to Jesus. And by the way, I might as well continue. Disease takes a back seat to Jesus. And addiction takes a back seat to Jesus. And whatever you've walked through, it takes a back seat to Jesus. He can speak one word and he can change everything. That's not my subject though. Now thankfully, Jerusalem had Nehemiah or Jerusalem never would have recovered their walls. But through prayer and planning and hard work and determination, Nehemiah inspired everybody else to persevere in restoring the walls that were needed to protect the city. And thankfully, 
Your relationships have you in them, every one of them. And if you will persistently, consistently live by God's principles, you can restore the covenants that will protect you and your loved ones, whether they live in your home or they're at your work or they're just a dear friend. The bad news is only you can do it. But the good news is you can do it through the help of the Lord. Nehemiah 4 and 6 says, So, despite the opposition, despite Samballot and Tobiah and all the enemies of the Jews, so we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together under the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. They just buckled down and buckled in and said, this is not pleasant, but we're doing it. This isn't easy, but we're going to do it. And if you ever decide in your relationship, in your marriage, in your home, in your parenting, in your friendship, if you ever decide this may be hard and it may take a while, but I'm doing it, God will help you come through that. Now, I said earlier, walls in your home are like covenants in your relationships. What is a covenant anyway? The best human example, of course, is the marriage relationship. That is the best and clearest human example of a covenant. It's when two people stand before God, stand before their families and their friends, and they make lifelong promises to each other. Now, the courts, unfortunately, they look at marriage as a contract. And that's why the courts help people divorce and break up marriages when things don't turn out as expected. That's how the court sees a marriage. But God's word doesn't look at marriage as a contract. It looks at marriage as a covenant. And that principle of covenant does not just apply to marriage. It applies in similar ways to every other human relationship you have. Most people think that successful relationships, and the younger they are, and the more Instagram they post, the more they think this. Most people think that successful relationships are about finding the right person. If I can just find the right person, everything's going to be wonderful. The younger they are, and the more they're on social media, the more they think that. Now, if that's true, that successful relationships are about finding the right person, then the Bible is basically completely silent on any of that. It offers almost no help on finding the right person. But the Bible has all kinds of things to say about becoming the right person. The Bible will help you become the person that somebody else would be blessed by your friendship. That's what the Bible does for us. Not about finding the right person, but about becoming the right person. Maybe the question that all of us need to be asking is, are you the person? I said that wrong. Are you who the person you are looking for is looking for? Some of you still didn't get it, and I'm not sure I did. I'm going to try it again. 
It's written down here in black and white. I'm going to read it instead of trying to remember it, okay? Getting old. We just passed through Heritage Sunday, so give me a break. Are you who the person you are looking for is looking for? You're looking for somebody who has a good testimony. Do you have a good testimony? You're looking for somebody who kept their purity. Do you, did you keep your purity? You're looking for somebody that they're prayerful. Are you prayerful? You're looking for somebody that, you know, they, they've got money. Well, do you bring any money? <laughs> Just to put a practical spin on it. Are you who the person you are looking for is looking for? <laughs> now, a lot of people today, and again, the younger they are and the more they're on social media, most people today think that successful relationships, whether marriage or dating or friendships, they think that successful relationships are about chemistry. In other words, you know, when you're with them, you just feel great and, you know, endorphins go off or whatever. I don't know. Something chemical happens. And some people, they're really chemically burned by now. Anybody who's ever had a friend or a coworker or a child, or a sibling, or a spouse, for more than about three days, you know this. You need more than chemistry in a relationship if that relationship is going to survive. Because just like grade 10 chemistry, things that you mix together can blow up once in a while. I'm a, I'm a witness. What you need is not just chemistry in your friendships, chemistry in your marriage, chemistry in your dating relationship. You need a covenant of love for that person. Notice I didn't say with that person. You need a covenant of love in yourself for that person if that relationship is going to survive and thrive. We think of relationships about what we're going to get out of them, but the Bible sees relationships as what we bring to them and what we give to them. Uh, look at this. We, we read this at weddings, and then we forget it at the reception. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We call it the love chapter. Verse 4 to 7. Charity, or love, charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed Charity doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Now, let me recap with that verse on the screen. This is talking about the kind of a covenant of love that will be a blessing to anybody you are in a relationship with. And again, these principles work whether you're a married person or not. They work in any relationship. And these principles will work whether you're a Christian or not. However, without the love of God shed abroad in your heart, you're kind of on your own, honey, and you got to figure out how to muster up those feelings when it's one of those days. And God can help you, and he will help you. Love is patient. It suffers long. That means that love never pressures that other person. They're patient with them. Love is kind. It's considerate of how that other person feels, not just how you feel. My goodness, couldn't we change the world if we could all just be aware of how that other person is feeling 
more than how we are feeling. Love is not envious. It envieth not. You know, some people, they live by this mantra. You can't feel good about you if I don't feel good about me. If I don't feel good about me, you are not feeling good about you. They are like a wet blanket just waiting to fall on every party. <laughs> you know, you've heard the saying, they want to be the bride at every wedding. Uh, some people, they, they, they want to be, I, I, never mind. They want to go to the wedding, but they don't want to be the bride. They just want to be the dark cloud that floats in and ruins everybody's day. That's an attitude that is envious of others, envious of their happiness, envious of their blessings. And you can't feel good about you if I don't feel good about me. That's not love. Love is not prideful. It vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. Love is not prideful. Love doesn't say it's my way or the highway. That's pride. That's not love. Love doesn't act or behave itself unseemly. Love would never use that other person just to meet your needs. Love would never use that other person just to manipulate them so that you could gain something or you could feel better about yourself. Love is not selfish. It puts the happiness of that other person before your own happiness. Love is not easily provoked. This is a big one. Love doesn't blow up over stupid trivia. Love doesn't explode over perceived slights. Love doesn't do that. Love is not easily provoked. Love thinks no evil. I know a lot of you think I'm talking about marriage, but I'm not. I'm talking about every kind of human relationship. And love, if you have love for that person, it thinks no evil. It is not suspicious all the time of that other person's motives. Some people can hardly enjoy a conversation because they're thinking, now what are they really saying? And the reason they think that is because that's how they act all the time. They always have an underlying motive in everything they do and everything they say. So they see everybody else as having an underlying motive in everything they do and everything they say. Can I just tell you, most of us are just trying to enjoy the day. Would you give us a break? Just chill. We don't have a motive. We don't have an agenda. We're just blessed to the Lord, highly favored, thankful for God's blessings, and we're just trying to get through this day on the way to that great day, and we don't have time to play your little games. I got an amen. Wow. Okay, good. Well, let's go on. Love rejoiceth not in iniquity. Love is not secretly happy. When somebody else has a misfortune, you got downsized at your company and then they lost their job. So now you're secretly kind of like, well, good. Now it's fair. Love would never do that. Love doesn't rejoice when somebody fails. Love doesn't get a little snide smirk when somebody else's sins or faults or failures or mistakes are exposed. Love goes to prayer and says, Jesus, you got to help that person. That's what love does. Love rejoices not in iniquity. But love does rejoice in the truth. Do you know what the truth is about you? You, yes, you, you were created in the image of God. 
And so I can speak the truth about you. God has a purpose for your life. God has a calling on your life. God gave you a ministry. I don't know what it is. You might not know what it is yet, but God gave you a ministry. God wants to use you for his kingdom. God wants to take you to heaven. God wants to bless you. God wants to lift you. God wants to forgive you. God wants to help you. I can prophesy to you, and everything I just said is 100% accurate because it's all based on the word of God. Love rejoices in the truth. And the truth is you have potential. The truth is you have promise. The truth is you have an anointing. I might be your friend. I might be your spouse. I might be your parent. I might be your sibling. But let me tell you something. My attitude about you does not diminish God's anointing on you. Everybody in this room has potential. And if you love them, you might not know everything that God knows about them, but you'll speak the best about them. You'll speak the best over them. You'll speak about their potential, not their failure. You'll speak about their promise, not their mistake. Love bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things. What in the world? That simply means that love refuses to give up. There are parents in this congregation sitting here tonight. There are brokenhearted parents watching me online right now. And your child, the one you birthed and raised and loved, the one you nurtured and supported, that child slammed the door in your face, walked out, said, I don't want anything to do with you or your church or your God. And I'm gone and you are history as far as that part of my life is concerned. We've got people in our church just like that. But let me tell you something about love. Love never gives up. Love always keeps praying. Love always keeps believing. Love says, I'm going to see them in the altar. Love says, I'm going to see them with their hands lifted to God. Love says, I'm going to see them speaking in tongues one more time. Love says, I'm going to see them make a trip to the baptistry for the first time in their life. Love says, I'm going to see them walk that aisle and kneel at that altar and be forgiven by God. Love never gives up. We give up too quick, people. We wash our hands of people that irritate us and irk us. Love never gives up. Isn't that quite a list? That's amazing, isn't it? Wouldn't that bless this planet if we could all live that? You know what? Not one of those traits comes naturally to human beings. Not one. We have to work on them all. This is why you would do yourself a favor if you don't have the baptism of the Holy Ghost to say, Jesus, like me, right now, I need the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost will help you. The Bible talks about the love of Christ being shed abroad in our hearts by the power of his spirit. Now, here, here's the thing about relationships, and, and I, I, I know that, that teaching like this on a midweek uh, it, it kind of just kind of makes everybody uh, apostolically awkward. Okay, I, I got that. It's okay. All you need to do, if you want to ruin every relationship in your life, all you need to do is play fair. That's all you need to do. Play fair. If they're nice, you be nice. If they're polite, you be polite. If they answer kindly, you answer kindly. But if they don't, the gloves come off. 
If they're in a bad mood, you be in a bad mood. All you need to do to wreck every relationship in your life is just play fair. If Beverly's in a bad mood, I'm in a bad mood. She's never in a bad mood. You know, you've heard the saying, sometimes I wake up grouchy. Sometimes I just let them sleep. Oh, you'll get that revelation on the way home. Okay. If you want to wreck every relationship you've got, you just play fair. Treat them like they treat you. Respond to them like they respond to you. If they're nice, you be nice. But if they're not nice, you're not obligated. And that's why this world is in such a mess. This is why families break up. This is why friendships die. This is why nations go to war. Because they're living by contract and not covenant. What are we talking about this covenant thing? Well, a contract says... I will if you will. That's a contract. I'll pay you this money if you'll do this for me. I'll pay you this money if you'll build this or if you'll fix this. A contract says I will if you will. But in relationships, if you live by a contract, you've just doomed that relationship. I will if you will. I won't if you won't. But see, a covenant is different, brothers and sisters. And Christians live by covenant. And our covenants, they are the walls that protect and support us in our families, in our relationships, in our friendships. A covenant says, I will even if you don't. I will even if you can't. I will even if you won't. That kind of living turns all of the rules upside down and brings God's grace and power into your life. Contract says, I will if you will. But covenant says, I will even if you won't. I will even if you can't. I will even if you don't. That is a covenant. Aren't you grateful that God didn't make a contract with us? I'll be gracious to you if you'll be gracious to me. We fail. I'll forgive you if you always do it perfect. I'll be a loving God to you if you always love me and you never are fickle. We'd mess up. But God didn't make a contract with us. God made a covenant with us. Even when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Even when we wouldn't and we couldn't and we didn't, he loved us. That is a covenant. Walls in our relationship, in our little illustration for this series, the walls are the covenants that we make with each other. They are our personal agreements between each other. They're nonverbal. We don't write them down. They're always vulnerable. They can always be fractured or damaged. But covenants are like personal agreements, nonverbal agreements that we we make with each other as we live this life. We provide each other with boundaries and support and privacy and security, just like the walls in your house. And by doing that, we provide the environment we need to grow and flourish as individuals created in the image of God. Just like an ancient city was defenseless without its walls, your relationships are defenseless without covenants. A covenant says, I won't betray your confidence. If you tell me something, 
My next stop isn't. I just am telling you this because I want you to pray for them. That's garbage. If we're in covenant, I don't betray your confidence. You can tell me, and I'm as much like the Lord as I can possibly be. It gets buried in the sea of forgetfulness. And I talk to Jesus about it because I've talked to you about it. And I don't talk to everybody else about it. That's covenant. Covenant says, I will never humiliate you or hurt you. Covenant says, I won't try to dominate or demean you. Covenant says, I will always do what is best for you. It's not always easy, is it, parents? But if you've got a covenant with those children you're raising, you always do what is best for them. But covenant goes further than doing what's best. Covenant says, I will always believe the best about you. I'm not going to jump at every suspicion. I'm not going to jump at every rumor. I'm not going to jump on everything that anybody else says. If I have something with you, guess what? You and I are going to talk about it. Because you're going to have to prove to me that you're not true blue. Until that point, I'm going to believe the best about you because we're in covenant together. Covenant says, I won't leave you or love you less because I got disappointed. That's what covenant says. That alone would strengthen every friendship, every marriage, every church, every family, every parent and child. I won't leave you. I won't love you less, even if you disappoint me. There was a 19th century author. Her name is Dinah Marie Craik. And she wrote these profound words. They have been attributed to everybody else, just about. But she wrote them. Here's what she said. Oh, the blessing it is to have a friend to whom one can speak fearlessly on any subject with whom one's deepest as well as one's most foolish thoughts just come out simply and safely. Oh, the comfort, the inexpressible comfort of feeling safe with a person, having neither to weigh thoughts nor measure words, but pouring them all right out just as they are, chaff and grain together, certain that a faithful hand will take and sift those words, keep what is worth keeping, and then with a breath of kindness, blow the rest away. That's a friend. With a friend, you don't have to be guarded. With a friend, you don't have to be careful. With a friend, you don't have to watch every word because you can be comfortable with a friend. We say it once in a while here, we need to be reminded probably more often. People in our city, I think we're a friendly church. We get compliments on that. But people in our city, they're not looking for a friendly church. They're looking for a friend. And a friendly church can happen with all of us just kind of doing our thing on Sunday. And now it's really easy. Just air wave at somebody. Air high five. Air elbow bump. Air hug. That's so noncommittal. It's foolish. I am so ready for COVID-19. 
to go the way of the dodo bird. But people aren't looking for just us all to be friendly when they show up. They're looking for a friend. And a friend is someone that invests. A friend is someone that loves. A friend is someone that makes a covenant with them. That's a friend. 1 Samuel chapter 18. Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. Now, you know how perverted our culture is today. They've tried to twist that into some kind of sexual relationship between David and Jonathan. There's not even a shadow of a hint of that in the Scripture anywhere or in ancient Jewish culture anywhere. That's not what that is. That is a covenant. That is a friendship. That is a wall that they built around that relationship. They were accountable one to another. Why? Because he loved him as his own soul. Even when Jonathan's father attacked David, Jonathan didn't side with his father Saul. He sided with his covenant partner, his covenant friend, his covenant ally, David. That's what a covenant is. It's loving someone as you love your own soul. Covenants build walls around your relationships to protect them. Covenants act the same in private as they appear to be in public. We all come to church on Sunday and we all dress up and we all show up and we, we, we all wash up and we all clean up well and we walk in the building. Nobody walks in here and has this big fight on the way in the door. You tone it down because you're at church and you got to look the part. But could we go away with that crazy notion? If your marriage is on the rocks, you need an altar. You don't need pretense. If your home is suffering from division and tension, you don't need to put on a little Pentecostal performance when you come to service. You need to talk to somebody and reach out to somebody and say, we're in trouble here and we need God's help. This isn't about our best impression of a religious person. This is about real life, real relationships, real living, real serving God. And covenants, they act the same in private behind those walls as they appear to be in public. And brothers and sisters, I'll say this. This month we are honoring every segment of our church. And we have so many kinds of families in our church family. We love and value and honor and respect them all. They are all integral to CCC. But for just a moment, if you would allow me, we haven't done this for the whole month because we don't want to disrespect or, or undervalue some of our blended families, some of our single parent families, some of our single adults. They're the only one in their family serving God. We don't want to dishonor them. They are just as valued, just as loved, just as integral to CCC as what we call the nuclear family. They're, they're, they're the same to us. But for just a moment, I want to bear down on something. By far, the most important covenants in your life 
are the walls that you build around your family and your friends to protect them. They are the most important covenants in your life. You need to put your family and your friends very high on your priority list. I, I love this statement. Don't trade what is unique to you for something someone else will eventually do. Don't trade what is unique to you for something someone else will eventually do. Someone else will eventually sit at your desk. Someone else will eventually hold your position. Someone else will eventually do your job. Someone else will eventually stand in this pulpit or sit in those seats. Someone else will fill every role that you fill. But trust me, no one else can fill your role as a spouse, a husband, a wife, a dad, a mom, a grandpa, a grandma. No one else can fill those roles. So do not be distracted. See, that was the enemy of Nehemiah. All the people trying to distract them. They tried to discourage them. They tried to pull Nehemiah off course and get him distracted, get him down from the wall. Don't let voices or pressures or overcommitments in your life take you away from what is so important. You only get to be a daughter until your mom's not here anymore. You only get to be a son until your dad's not here anymore. You only get to be a spouse until that spouse is not here anymore. But I'm not just talking about death and funerals. I'm talking about this. You only get to be a dad until that son is grown and gone. You only get to be a mom until that precious little pretty daughter is grown and gone. So do not sacrifice your family and your friendships and your relationships on the altar of busyness or on the altar of overcommitment at work or on the altar of ever advancing in your career or your education. Those things are important and we thank God for them and they're right and good and fine in their place. But do not make the mistake of trading what is unique to you for what somebody else is someday going to do anyway. Only you can be dad. Only you can be mom. Only you can be that friend. Don't lose it. Don't trade it. And I love this statement. Remember, parents especially, but all of us, remember that your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something that you do. Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God, to his church, may not be something that you do. I talk to a lot of people over the run of a year. I talk to a lot of ministers, young ministers, people that are anxious to get going in ministry and do something great for God. Please, families, listen to pastor. Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do. It may be somebody you're reading bedtime stories to and having prayer with at a bedside. That person, that little girl, that young boy might just be your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God. If Jesus tarries 
Somebody's going to raise the next missionary. Somebody's going to raise the next pastor or preacher. Somebody's going to raise the next apostle. Somebody is going to raise the next evangelist. Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be the ministry or the calling or the gifting that you are focusing on. It might be somebody you raise. You say, Pastor, you just left us out. I'm a single adult. Okay, it might be somebody you encourage. The greatest contribution you make to the kingdom of God. How is it that our celebrity culture has so polluted us that we're only focused on me first and me only and me, 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 me. We're focused so much on what we do. The greatest contribution you make to the kingdom of God might not be something you do. It might be some young person in this church. It might be a friend. It might be somebody that when they're down and they almost give up and they almost turf it all, you are the one that swoops in at a, a critical moment and you encourage them and you lift them up and you mentor them and you disciple them and they go on to reach 25 people for God. Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God could be something that you don't even value, but you need to value. Let me close. Nehemiah had constant distractions all the while he was trying to build that wall around Jerusalem. But Nehemiah didn't let the, the distractions bother him because he knew this. Walls take time. You can't build a wall in just a couple of hours. Walls around a city, they take time. They got it done very quickly with God's help, but it still took time. It took 52 days of hard work with 42 teams. Walls take time. There was always somebody or something trying to pull him away from his most important task. And it's the same with you, isn't it? There's always something that's just hollering at you. A phone is beeping at you. Who said that answering your phone is the class one emergency of your life? If, if you're with your children, you can turn your phone off or mute it. But Beverly, please unmute it later when I need to get a hold of you. Where is she? She'll say, she'll say, I had my phone muted because I was in church. And I'll say, it's Thursday. Church was Sunday. She's just doing what's important. See, she's, she's so amazing. I don't know how we got to the point where we let every little piece of trivia in this culture and in this world pull us away from what is most important. And we all go around like it's not our fault. I just don't have any time. I just don't have any time. You have the same amount of time that everybody else in this room has. Every day you have 24 hours. Every week you have seven days. Every year you have 365 and a, what is it, a quarter days. Every year you have the same amount of time as anybody else. Only you can choose whether you stay on mission in your friendships, in your relationships, and in your family. Last scripture. Let me give you Nehemiah's answer every time somebody tried to pull him away from that important task of building those walls. And let me tell you what your answer should be every time somebody or something tries to pull you away from your most important commitments in life. 
loving your spouse, being there for your friends, raising your children, being an encouragement to your brothers and sisters. Let me tell you what your answer needs to be every time something in this culture needs to pull you away. And sometimes they're not even important. Your, your social media time is about the lowest thing that needs to be on your weekly list. So many people would do so much better if they just shut down Facebook and just go out and actually make a real friend instead of a friend in Pennsylvania. You know what they had for dinner. You don't know the names of people that sit behind you in the pew on Sunday, but you know what somebody in Pennsylvania had for dinner yesterday. That is ridiculous. And it's not helpful. And so when Nehemiah was faced with the temptation and the distraction and the enemy trying to get him off course, he always gave this answer. I sent messengers unto them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down from the wall. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Some of you need to say that to your iPhone. Why should the work cease while I leave praying with my children, while I leave nurturing my kids, while I leave spending time with my friends. Why should the work cease while I leave it and come do some stupid trivia that culture says is urgent? I am doing a great work. Parents, if you're raising precious little kids to love Jesus, and love his church, you are doing a great work. Don't let culture pull you down from that wall. Grandparents, you have the best job in the world. Sugar them up, send them home. Sugar them up, send them home. Sugar them up, send them home. No responsibility. It's wonderful. None of us would have had kids if we'd have known there were grandkids. We'd have tried to have the grandkids first. We would have messed them up too. If you're an apostolic grandma or grandpa, those little kids, if you can get them in this house, I don't care if their parents, their mom and dad don't come. If you can get your claws on them, get them to the house of God, pray over them, speak in tongues around them, just let them know that you're in love with Jesus because there's something about the power of a grandma or a grandpa that those little hearts, they just want to emulate that person that's so kind to them and loves them. They, they, they just want to do that. You are doing a great work. Don't let busyness and don't let some dumb church gossip get you in the corner while there's precious little kids and visitors and new believers walking around. You need to be doing that great work. Don't let somebody else pull you down off the wall. I'm doing a great work, devil. I don't have time to come down and deal with you. I'm doing a great work. If you got drama, enjoy it. I don't have time for drama. I'm trying to serve Jesus with all my heart. I'm doing a great work. I cannot come down and enjoy your foolishness. Parents, saints, grandparents, single parents, 
adults, senior citizens, senior saints, people that I love, this great church, we are doing a great work. It's not perfect, but it's a great work. It's not where we want it to be yet, but it's God's work. We're doing a great work. We don't have time to come down and get ensnared with the foolishness of this world. And if we would rededicate ourselves to living in covenant with our families, our spouses, our children, our friends, our fellow believers, those walls protect us from this culture that surrounds us. I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave this behind and mess with you? That was Nehemiah's answer. I hope after tonight, it'll be your answer. I'm doing a great work. Your family, your kids, your marriage, your friendships, your involvement in your local church. Yeah, I said it. Your involvement here at CCC. There's nothing more important for your family to see than your commitment and your loyalty and your faithfulness and your involvement in your church. There's nothing that helps your kids or your grandkids any more than that. Nothing. This is the physical manifestation of the body of Christ on this earth. This is the only thing Jesus died for. His church. His people. He wants everybody to be part of it. He loved this whole world. But it's his church where he manifests himself. Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, for these sweet people that have listened to me for the last several moments. And I thank you, God, for your word. Now, I've tried to deliver it in the way that you gave it to me. But I pray, Jesus, that this word will dig deep. I pray that it will settle and take root. And I pray that it would just stir up somebody in their heart a little bit to, to just put some steel in their backbone because they've believed the busy lie so many times. I'll get to that later. I'll pray later. I'll have a relationship with God later. I'll spend time with my family later. I'll spend time with my kids later. And they have believed that. It's the lie of our current culture. Jesus, you came to dismantle that lie by your word tonight. And so I pray that the spirit of Nehemiah would just kind of infiltrate and infuse the people of God. What I am doing in my life, living for God, it is a great work. It is far more important than my presence on social media. It is far more important than my secular career. It is far more important than the accolades of this world. I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. Let that settle deep in the heart of every believer tonight. Fortify us. Help us to build those walls that protect our friendships and our families and our relationships and even this great church. I pray it in Jesus' name. Now, if you agree with that prayer, I want you to lift up your voice and begin to pray right now.